You're listening to the Manverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 134. Okie dokie. Well, welcome to another episode of the Manverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and today I have with me Brendan Carrion. Carrion? Carrion. The, uh, <laughs> all the ways of pronouncing the last name. Uh, we are going to be having a fun discussion about... Authoria Games, and marketing, and all of the components that go into making a successful, friendly local game store. That's the idea, anyways. Well, let's jump into it. Welcome to the podcast, Brett. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm really excited. It's been a while since I've done a podcast, and uh, it's good to be back in the saddle. Yeah, it is fun, isn't it? It is. It is. Podcasting is its whole own, its whole own fun thing, and uh, it's just really great to, like, talk to other like-minded people and there's no better way in the world to interact with like-minded people than to do a podcast in a certain way because they're just so specific. Yeah, absolutely. And we are, I feel like sometimes I'm like so niched down in this like particular thing that uh, it's, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell people what I do or tell people what I'm, uh, what do I produce and what, what do I do as a job? Because people are like, What's a game store? Like, there's a good chunk of people who don't even know what I'm talking about when it comes to what the business is. And then, wow. What's wow. a podcast? What's a, like, how does all that work? Right? Uh, yeah. So it's great to be able to talk to people who know what I'm talking about as well. That's always a, always a joy. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you could, you know, join me today in this beautiful morning. Mm-hmm. And I am excited to, like, to dive into things. So normally the way that I, start off the podcast is I, I want to get into the origin story about like, okay, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the business? Why did you get into the business? What is it about games? What is it about the game store industry that, you know, you're, you're drawn to and like that kind of thing. So give people a sense of, you know, who you are, where you're coming from. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a long story. I'll try to keep it brief and like not go into some kind of Dickensian um, uh, uh, segue, but I, I, I started I gaming. Yeah, I know, I know, right? I started gaming when I was very young, and uh, in, in that in that kind of halcyon, kind of pre-adolescent moment when uh, you haven't quite given up like magical thinking and kids stuff yet, and then and then uh, role-playing games at the time there weren't TCGs at the time. I predate TCGs, so uh, role-playing games are this kind of like magical bridge that where you can kind of take take some of the fun stuff from childhood and you can kind of keep working with it as you get older and you mature. And just being the kind of person that I am, uh, it didn't take long for me to start thinking, Oh, well, wow. What would it, what would it take for me to get into this world? Like, how could I just immerse myself in it forever? How could I, uh, how could I do this professionally? You know, at the time I was, I was, I loved uh, the White Wolf series of games in the mid mid '90s, the Vampire the Masquerade, the World of Darkness line of stuff, and I kind of idolized the writers and the producers of those games. I thought to myself, like, "Oh man, it must it, what a vaunted world it must be!" Like, I don't even know how you would break into something like that that's so remote. Um, and I just kind of like carried that with me for. For years, you know, I, 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 I wrote on the side and then um, I don't know, I had one of those kind of moments uh, where I was just like, in, when, when I started getting into middle age, where I was just kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to just going to start writing stuff. I, I think I think that the Apple line of products and the way that it has kind of democratized creativity has sort of like opened up a lot of opportunities for people to break into it it, it it removed it removed that veil of like oh well how do you publish a book like how do you write an article I, i'm not the kind of person that has the audacity that you find in like a lot of game creators where they um where they just wrote a letter to like fasa or something and said hey can i write a Shadowrun book and then fasa wrote back and said yeah why not who cares um i i always thought to myself like oh well, no one would want me to do that Right. So I kind of started getting into doing my own stuff. Podcasting was one of the things that I was doing. And that served as this crazy entree into the world of the game industry. And I met a lot of people. I did a lot of like kind of um, amateur marketing. I kind of, I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm a self-taught marketer. Like I don't have a communications degree or any of that stuff. I'm like 
old school, I guess, you know, from before, before it was considered to be a recognized discipline all of its own. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I guess one of the things I learned kind of breaking into the game industry was, ah, man, it's uh, not really kind of as fun as you might think it would be. Uh, but hanging out around game stores remains as fun as it has always been. And so, uh, now, now I market for a game store. Uh, and, and, and if you've done marketing, if you've done marketing, then you know very often part of what you have to do is you have to market a bunch of stuff that you don't care about or that you maybe like don't even like, right? You have to find ways to write about it enthusiastically and to educate customers about those things. Um, and so when I was able to get a job with Authoria, kind of picking up some of the marketing duties that they had, some of the aspirational things that they wanted to do, but just didn't have time to because of the daily running of the business. I just, I leapt on that, I leapt on that so that I could just, I could spend my day writing and talking about the things I love rather than writing and talking about something I really don't care about at all. <laughs> yeah, obviously that's ideal. You want to be able to do something that you, that you love. And I think that's in a, it's, there's two interesting points there. The first one was the like the realization that you know all the games industry, like all oh, the games, you like you feel like the product and the experience is going to be what the work is. That is not the case at all, right? The work is. I'm sure every game store owner has had this experience as well. Like, oh, I want to I want to do this. This is my life. I want to surround myself with these things that I love, and then you find out that like, well, the the work itself is extremely challenging, and you probably are not going to be playing nearly as many games as you think you are going to be playing. I think that's a pretty common common realization as you get into it, right? And it's the same sort of thing is that it's not just the game store, but like game publishing or game creation. Mm -hmm. It's hard work. It's it's just I don't want to say it's drudgery because it's not like you are uh, you know you're not you're not flat roofing, which I've had experience with. You're not like out in the hot sun like getting <laughs> getting pummeled by the environment, but it is like it is hard work. It is creative labor, right? And it's it's uh. Yeah, the, the effort that goes along with that. It's not the same as playing Dungeons & Dragons with your friends. It's not the same experience when you turn it into a job. Really, 100% that, yeah. And kind of, um, if you've had an experience with like a role-playing book or a magic set um, or a board game or, you, or a miniatures game even, a tabletop miniatures game where you sat with the material and you let the words come off the page and fill your head with a imaginary environment and that kind of teleported you to some other place that gave you profound experiences. Like that is the end product of a series of like long nights and painful compromises between uh, an editor and a writer and a line director. And everybody has to have their say and have their little piece. And um, if that product, that process ended up creating something that can transport you, then hooray, that's, that's a good product because very often it's, uh, you know, it's very, it's like anything. It's like, it's like when you go to just a regular square job and you have to go to a meeting and somebody has a good idea and then it's death by committee and but you still got to do it, you know, it, you know, and that, and that's why when you find a golden product, like an amazing experience, it's, uh, it, it means so much because, and we, we've all seen the discount bin where other, other projects didn't come to life. Yeah. Sometimes it's a roll of the dice. It feels like some things just, you know, like, I, I think the idea of death by committee is a good way to put it. But like you can have a great game that is killed in the process of iteration. That's you know it's just too many hands, too many things, too many changes, uh -huh. and just kind of dies in the vine, right? And like that's like in some ways it's such a tragedy because of you know it's someone's creative vision that like started this thing that that had this idea that they were really passionate about enough to like try and make a go of it, and then it just sort of you know just didn't quite take off, didn't make it, and that's that's, that's rough. But that is the way things go. That is kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, we our, our our industry is interesting in that it exists at this intersection of um, art and product. And mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is something that like anyone who designs or creates in 
the 21st century and really even the late 20th century like has to kind of grapple with but with gaming in particular especially now it's just become incredibly acute because there's money in this now like you know there's D&D books on the New York Times bestseller list so there there's money in them their hills which means people want to go get that money they want to go they want to get that that scratch like you can't you can't just write a role-playing book for the love of role-playing anymore if you're in Hasbro, if you're in WotC, because it has to justify itself economically. And that doesn't mean that there's any like uh, uh, dearth of heartbreakers. You can find all the heartbreakers you want on uh, Kickstarter and itch.io. There's plenty of creativity out there, but when it comes to a finished product that you find on the game store shelf, then there there is an at this point in game store history, there's an economic consideration. Absolutely, and like it's always been there. It's just it's not as mm-hmm. or it hasn't been as extreme of a variable, except for now being this renaissance of tabletop in a lot of ways, this explosion in popularity over the last five ish years, right? Ever since uh whenever the first season of Stranger Things started to really uh, <laughs> make its impact on the culture. And, like, that yeah. really changed things. That really brought the idea of, like, playing with your friends, playing games, and playing in this environment, and, and just the whole culture, the hobby around it, really brought it to the forefront. But, uh, yeah, and it's it's interesting to see things change. Like, there's so many things happening all at once, and the world is changing constantly in, so, in such a, an incredibly fast pace. And it's really interesting to see how it's affected this area of of the economy, this uh, this industry, because like when I started this podcast ten years ago, it's been a while. The uh, congratulations, the by the way, that's awesome. Was, you know, oh, thanks. Uh, but the perception of what a game store was was very different. The idea that you could like have a like a real business, not just like a hobby store, like a or like a hobby store, right? Some place like. I feel like at the beginning, years ago, a game store was treated like a hobby farm. It was like, oh, you know, something you do for fun, but it's not really like you're not going to make your living off of this thing. You know, this is just a passion project for most people. But there were some stores that even back then that obviously stood out. Right. And that's what I was looking for. It was like, OK, there's people who are really making a difference. They're changing lives. They're, they've built a legitimate business where they have hired people. They have paid themselves a, a good wage. You know, like they have a good life built on the back of this idea of this like this incredible thing that is the friendly local game store right there's a it's a unique thing in the space or at least it has been for me it's been one of those things that like this the idea of the friendly local game store changed my life in a lot of ways i found it felt a very uh like identity defying and the idea that uh you could create something that lasted that was productive that was uh that was great that was good that was like a it really changed people's lives and you could uh, build a business and build a life around it. I thought was really incredible. And like, it's, it's really neat to see how the perception has changed over the years and how things are now, like you said, like it's big business. It's not like, Oh, you know, trading card games are for kids anymore. There are, there's millions and millions of dollars being poured into this stuff, you know, for good and bad in lots of ways, but mm-hmm. like it's, mm-hmm. it's a real legitimate thing. And the, like the potential, the ceiling, and the perception of what you can do as a local game store is no longer the uh, what was that? What is the card store? I keep like I really would need to look this no, up. No, Android's Dungeon in The Simpsons. Android's with, Dungeon. Uh, comic book guy. Yeah, exactly. His yeah. that was the that's where the card store was. That's what the comic <laughs> book store was. But that's not it anymore, right? This, the uh, the sky is the ceiling now. It's like you could really like you could really change things. Uh, but yeah, it's really cool seeing the the effect that that's had, and then also like the, the way that it's changed uh, the culture in a lot of ways. And it's it's good it's good seeing more people enjoying what we enjoy. That's 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 neat on its own. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that on some level, Athoria in particular, that's kind of ha- one of the directions that we're coming from is that uh, very specifically we are not um a a uh a clubhouse you know and i think that if you're a gamer of a certain age 
I guess really just meaning you've been gaming for more than five, six, seven years, then you you know what I'm talking about, which is you these stores that uh, didn't actually really function as like places of commerce. They were kind of just these slowly decaying clubhouses for uh, like a group of a group of guys, like a clique, and. Um, and if they manage to sell some uh, uh, product in order to keep that clubhouse door open, <laughs> then so much the better. But that was, but that's incidental to just having a place where um, a, a group of a group of friends could gather. Now, obviously, the game store still has to fill a role of uh, the commons in America. Right, because the idea of the commons is like something that we don't really have here in America, right? Like, it's very difficult to find a place that you can go and just be with your friends that isn't like hyper monetized, right? This is kind of like mall, mall culture in a certain way. Like, you can kind of be at a mall without spending money, but not really. And obviously, the game store, we still have to monetize the space, right? But it is still a place where you can come and meet like-minded people and make friends and to join a community. But this area has to have a business interest. It has to have, it has to be self-sustaining. It has to be clean. It has to be open and welcoming to people. It has, it has to, it has to justify itself economically in terms of what it carries. You know, it can't just be like, Oh, here's, civil war miniatures in 15 millimeter because that's what the owner likes you know and does anybody else in the area want to buy 15 millimeter civil war miniatures no but that's what's on the shelf <laughs> you know what i'm saying um and so and so that, that that sort of dual purpose of the game store that sort of like dual role as a sort of like piazza or whatever where people can be but also that is a streamlined engine of commerce that justifies itself is is on some level i think what you're trying to talk about the kind of cornerstone of new game store thinking and very much what it is that we're trying to do it's uh it's definitely a uh like part of our mission statement to make sure that we don't become that you see what i'm saying mm -hmm. so that raises an interesting question how do you how do you communicate that to your customers so like you, you how do you market that in a way that they understand that and they understand the value that you're doing so like what's your approach to doing that uh but then also like i guess how do you walk that line how do you like navigate that fine line between okay we need to make money we need to be a profitable venture we need to be a business but then also we need to create a space that is welcoming that people do not feel like you know, you're just a customer at just another retail space, right? How do you, how do you balance those two? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that is the thing that is super hard, right? Um, and I think, I think that game stores, the, 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 the balance isn't creating welcomingness because people, I mean, game stores are, game stores are fun, it's toys, it's fun times, right? People want to be there. Um, man, I'm already contradicting myself. <laughs> the if, if a, a, a game store that is that is clean and has a functioning bathroom and has uh, uh, friendly staff personnel on duty is going to be a place that people want to be. Just intrinsically because people want to spend time doing the things that they want to do right like and and there's a certain kind of like communal necessity to uh to a lot of gaming if you want to role play you're going to need four or five additional people you might not have them in your friendship group if you want to play warhammer you need an opponent and you don't want to play the same guy every single time if you want to play magic playing the same problem playing against your friend's deck is fun but like if you, it's more fun to maybe play against some other decks um so, so intrinsically, and that's the part that people have worked out. The part that people don't have worked out so much is how do you keep that from just becoming like a, a, a clubhouse for a certain group of people? 
And um, I think that 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 is the area of challenge. And that that's just kind of like a almost like a, a daily task, like a like a, a discipline, like remembering who you are, and making sure that um, that kind of discipline is conveyed through the personnel that you have on shift. Um, so that it doesn't really just become uh, a place where people come and put their feet up, you know. I mean, we've all seen it, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, 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 uh, <laughs> so many game store owners have expressed a, uh, I don't want to say disdain, but like, is a challenge with having people. You know, you want to bring them into the space. You want them to feel like they can come into the space, but you also don't want them to take advantage and feel like you're maybe right. exploited with your welcoming, you know, come and enjoy the space kind of thing. And the, the balance between like having a, like a play space is, you know, this big, I think universal debate, right? Do you need play space? Do you need like a gaming area to have a functional store? Can you just be retail? Can you just sell the products and just deliver a really good experience that way? Or do you need to do events? Do you need to do organized play? Do you need to have tables that are available for people to bring their, you know, bring their friends in and hang out with? Is that, is that foundational to the idea of the friendly local game store. And that idea was, I think at the beginning, like three or four years ago, pre pre pandemic, it was a given, you need to have tables. You need to have this play space. You need to have this place for organization in order for the community to form. But then the pandemic kind of came along and took that option away. And a lot of stores found success, just kind of get rid of it. It didn't seem to really matter that much. And maybe that was, we were all trained by the pandemic in a way to like go home and deal with stuff and like, and live our lives differently. So maybe that changed expectations, but a lot of them have been maybe slow to bring that back and say, Oh, well, if it's working, you know, like, why do we need to change it? It's we're still, we, we sold considerably more in a lot of cases, a lot of stores did fantastic, right? The ones that did survive and did make it through, they did, they had some of their best years over the last couple of years. And it's, which is kind of, kind of crazy because I think nobody really would have expected that to be the case, you know, in 2020. Right. Uh, but we're kind of, kind of reopening the discussion about like, do we need to have the space to make it so that people can come in or can we just not do we, or do we just have it like pay to play kind of style where uh, it is monetized, but not, maybe not in the same way where it's like you're contributing to store credit. So it's a, you know, a bit of a balance between the two where you're not just like, well, tickets at the door, you know, keep moving, buddy. Right? Like it's not, not that kind of thing. But there's, there is a, at least a conversation going on about what is uh, the optimal choice, I guess. I, I, the, the idea of pay to play has been so unbelievably caustic in our community. It has just been, like, there's just certain people I've encountered. I mean, I, I consider every time I go to a game store or just hang out with people, I consider it like market research because it's just talking to people about their experiences, and like what it, what it is they see, like how it is they see the product. Um, and uh, there's just a certain kind of person who says, you tell me there's a table fee, I, I'm leaving. I leave immediately. And... Um, I find that weird. <laughs> I find that kind of hard to get my head around. Uh, but th that definitely is a percentage of the demographic out there. And we have to kind of figure out what that means. However, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying about the pandemic. The pandemic was, I mean, we've we'll, been we'll talking about it for years, I suppose. It was just a sea change in how everybody does everything everywhere. That's not news. But I think what it kind of did is it refocused, especially in the gaming community, who it is we're looking at in terms of who really moves the needle on these things, right? Because if you talk to game store gamers, they'll tell you, oh, the people who hang out at the game store are your economic drivers. The, the industry needs them. And if you hang out with people who go to big tournaments, they'll tell you, oh, no, big tournaments are the drivers. You need the tournament kids. But what really it turns out is that there's this invisible demographic. There's this invisible segment, which is the people that go to the store. They buy it off the shelf. They don't talk to you. They don't make friends. They make maybe polite conversation with the clerk, and then they go home and play with their group who you also have no way of tracking that they are interconnected people, 
what games they play, what games they share together, how often they play, how much they're spending. It's just like a, it's a complete unknown. And I, I think, I think Games Workshop is probably the best company at tracking these people because of the way that their model has been set up over the past 40 years. They know, they've always known that, that this is the economic driver. But to someone like me, this is news um, because I've always been like the kind of guy who it's Saturday morning and I'm posting up at the game store with my army or my pile of books or my cadre of friends that I told that that's where I was going to be. So if they want to see me, they need to come down here. And how we reach these people who who aren't just living at your store, right? How we reach them, how we interact with them. That's the new frontier, right? That's the that's what's going to define success and failure in the next 10 years, right? Yeah, I uh, 100% agree. And that's, that's a really interesting point. And I definitely want to dig into that. Like, how do you identify? How do you find these people? How do you market to them? How do you get them to be your customers? Because I think the... Uh, the perception beforehand or leading up until like, you know, r- roughly this year has been like, like you said, the, uh, the visible customers, the ones who were there all the time, the regulars, those people, those were the, like, that was the idea of the game store customer was, was these people that spend, you know, their every Friday night playing FNM, right? That was who you were, who your business was for. But a, again, it's also like for the clubhouse, that's probably true. Right, that's those are all your customers, most likely, right? Because the average, you know, parent or grandparent is probably not going to be super comfortable shopping in your store because of the environment that you're mm-hmm. creating. Which, yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. But for the businesses that are set up, like you said, proper baseline, you know, you've got it's clean, it's welcoming, it's a good space, it's a re- it's standard retail practices to make to make sure you're welcoming for everybody. You've got a huge uh, demographic of people, of customers, that you don't even, uh, probably don't even really think of as customers. But they spend a good ju- good chunk of their, uh, or a good chunk of your revenue is probably being derived from them. And it's like, you've got your visible extras, or your, vi- your visible regulars, which is the tip of the iceberg. And then there's this huge span underneath of like, you know, the mainstream gamer or the mainstream players who we just can't see right you just can't see mm-hmm. because they're playing on their kitchen top or their kitchen table right mm-hmm. so how do you reach what, what what's your approach let's uh let's dive into that what's your approach to getting in front of these people and kind of making sure that they know that they can come and shop with you Sorry, well i mean i think that wow yeah i mean that because this is the thing right we're kind of we're kind of in this new territory where we don't there's a, there's a lot of unknowns and it's daunting because on one hand, there's a gut instinct that says, oh, well, we shouldn't even be competing for these customers because Amazon's going to take them, right? Amazon's going to take them or one of the big companies. There's a number of game stores that operate in North America and in um, uh, the UK they have they have built themselves as basically online retailers. That's they have brick and mortar locations, but that's basically where their sales come from, and they do huge huge business. If you go on if you go on eBay and you just type in any kind of gaming product, you'll probably find that Noble Knight Games, for instance, has something that you're looking for, right? Huge space, huge volume, right? And they're just selling online. They don't need their brick and mortar store, but they have it. Um, and so you might think to yourself, well, I, what's the point of competing? What's the point of competing with them? Um, everybody's just going to buy online, but, but, but what we know (laughs) is that people aren't right because we've seen an explosion of game stores in the same period of time that the, the, the internet companies should have been sucking all of the juice out of the market. There shouldn't be anything left over for uh, brick and mortar stores if the industry was going to proceed along the linear path 
that we were kind of predicting a few years ago, where it was like, oh, brick and mortar stores are gonna, uh, pe people hate the Android's dungeon experience. Uh, these stores are gonna wither on the vine. Everything is gonna be online. And then there's gonna be some kind of new renaissance of uh, like people renting halls or conventions, right? That's where public play is gonna move. It's gonna move out of the game store. The, all the people that thrive on that are going to have to find it somewhere else. But instead, especially in our area, we're, we're uh, I'm in Phoenix Metro, you know, ten, uh, Authority Games is in Tempe and Mesa, Arizona. Um, I think that the number of game stores has like tripled or quadrupled in the last five years. Brick and mortar stores, right? So, so I think right now, uh, one of the things that we have to be doing is we have to be defining our territories and we have to be thinking to ourselves, if we're the friendly local game store, then we're local to, to a group, right? And how is it that we're getting ourselves in front of the faces of the people that are in this neighborhood, that are in this territory? Because how is our experience so compelling? that people are willing to drive by let's say one game store to get to us right but you can't you can't be expecting people to drive past three <laughs> you know uh in here and here in phoenix we have a really hotly contested corridor that is by uh is this interesting to you i'm sorry or is this is this not interesting yeah, this is fascinating. okay we have this hotly contested corridor because there's a there's an interstate highway that cuts through our um, our city, and a lot of suburbs have grown up around this highway. And then because it's suburbs, they each need game stores. But so if you're on one side of town, like you can drive past something like four or five game stores that are each like a mile or two off of the same freeway. If you just drive on that one freeway. And um, what that does is it really is it, it starts bisecting the city into these quadrants, and you have to start thinking to yourself, like, well, like, how do I pull people from the surrounding area and make sure that they're coming into mine and not necessarily that other one? And, uh, and so that's kind of the project that I'm working on right now. Like, how do I, how do I make sure that the territories where we are operating are like our territories? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that, that sounds weird. It sounds kind of futile. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I feel like game store owners, you know, there's a, there's a, sensation of scarcity between game store owners because of the the years leading up to these new these new boom years you know people are very kind of like uh, they, i i think right now i think right now there's plenty to go around and we we don't have to be catty with each other or uh a little bit of like uh capitalist rivalry is good for the market right um but when when you are the friendly local game store you have to be thinking about what the locale is right i mean in 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 this day and age what do you think i think that's a an interesting way to think about it in the sense of like okay where's my territory where's my space how do i dominate this space in, in a good way not like a in a good way yeah like the top of mind sort of uh kind of way and I think part of it is you have to, you have to, so again, always have to caveat everything marketing with like, you've got the business operations on lock, right? Everything's good. You're delivering yeah. a great experience. You've got good products. Everything's cool, right? That's all as a given. And then marketing is, you know, like, uh, I think Gary Ray put it as like, marketing's the sizzle, you know, your business is the steak, right? So your steak stinks, you know, the, the, the sizzle's not going to really matter that much. But like, so we assume those, that's the case. And you've got a great, great business that delivers a great experience. I think part of uh, what you want to do when it comes to specifically local, right? Like I think online a lot because most of what I do for stores is online focused. So it's big, broad, like sometimes national, you know, like mm -hmm. North America, like 
massive sales, right? So it's not as local focused. But if you want people in your local area to come to you, to come to your game store, I think you have to create an experience that's good enough that they can then, like I, like I think of the, the stores that I love, right? The, the ones that I, I came to like really identify with. It's because they had something that really brought me in and it then made it so that that was my store, right? Like a bit of an ownership mm-hmm. in the store. Right? Mm-hmm. Like if you want people to feel like uh, this is their place to go for you, or like this is their place for them to enjoy the hobby that they love, they need to have that uh, experience of ownership. The question of how you go about doing that is, I don't know, that's kind of a vague, vague sort of thing. I'm not exactly sure how to uh, codify that. But I think that's a that is a component is that if you want, you know, besides just literally blasting the information out there and being in front of people's you know eyeballs as often as possible, because that works, right. too. Right. Like just like the, uh, uh, you know, Coke is a multi bazillion dollar company that mm-hmm. still spends insane amounts of money every single day, making sure that you see the words Coca-Cola on your television screen and on the billboards <laughs> and on like everywhere, right? Like, the, yeah, you know, that's what they do. And that's what just kind of gets them always like, oh yeah, I feel like a Coke. It's just, it, that's how you do it. And I, you know, and I think that it's, it's, it's great that you mentioned that because on some level, you and I are already so steeped in it that we've just kind of missed the forest for the trees in a certain sense. And number one thing that you should say to any game store owner or prospective game store owner is, are you marketing? Yes, no. And if the answer is no, then you need to start marketing. It's it's insane to me how here we are in 2023, and people still think this is like optional. And, and people, people miss the distinction between advertising and marketing. But, but... But, like, you don't have to go get a billboard by the freeway. I'm talking about this freeway corridor that we have. I, I don't know that I would spend money on a, on a billboard by the freeway. I don't think that that'd be a good idea. But so, so that advertising, which is, yes, very expensive and probably out of reach for a, a friendly local game store, you don't have to do that. But you definitely have to market. You definitely have to understand what the concept, the 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 sort of metaphysical concept of your store is. And then you have to find some way to project that out into the world so that people can interact with it. Um, It's the same as hanging up a sign that says, this is what's in this building, but you have to hang up this metaphysical sign that's in other places so that people will know about it and then they will come find you. So, um, and, and maybe there's maybe there's a, a, a disconnect between people who are coming from that old school that that pre five years ago school, which I suppose if you're if you have a store that's already established, maybe you've been working on getting a nest egg together so you can like build your own store. You very likely come from a different era of gaming, and you might not understand that this is something. This is not optional. This is absolutely something that you have to be doing. Um, this idea of, oh, you're going to tell your friends, and then they're going to tell their friends, and then they're, they're going to create for you a, a passive revenue stream that you can live off of into your retirement. That's just not going to work in today's day and age. I mean, uh, to me, okay, it, it'll work to a degree. It's a great way to market a failed game store or a failing <laughs> game store. You know, um, but, if, but if you, point, That's not what <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and so ga- gamers consider themselves to be creative people. What are the creative ways that you can get into the lifeblood of a community? You know, are you, if you open your store, part of your job is now thinking about that. It's not just, it's not just getting there on time, making sure that the doors are open making sure the toilets are clean and that there's the new product on the shelf. Those are all definitely part of your job and those are very obvious. But what escapes some people is that you need to be thinking of creative ways to get your experience that you are selling in front of people's eyes. And it's funny because I, I, uh, there was something that I saw a few weeks ago that just really made me think about this as a, it's a, it's a reminder. It's just what we were just talking about 
but the uh, it was more general business advice. But it was basically how many people have you asked to uh, become your customer today? Mm. How many people did you ask? Because mm. like you, if you're not asking anybody, they're not going to buy from you, right? Mm-hmm. And there are lots of ways to ask, but if you just like, hey, would you be interested in these things that I have to sell or these services that I have? The more people that you ask, the more sales you're going to have. You're going to get a lot of no's, obviously. But people are, man, I'm, you know, I'm not interested or not now or whatever. But you're going to get a lot of yeses too, or a lot more if you never ask anybody. And marketing is essentially, <laughs> yeah. essentially asking. We're like, hey, would you be interested in some of these super cool games we got in here? You know, like there's awesome products. Have you ever seen any of these? Could I show you some of these? And like, you know, it's weird. You think of like, if you just go out into the street and just started asking people, you know, that questions and, hey, can I stop you for a second? I got some stuff for you that I think would be really cool. Maybe you really like this sort of, this sort of thing. Like some of these people are going to become your customers. Some of them might be like, mm-hmm. get out of my face. But like there are ways of doing that. But like that's essentially what marketing is. It's just asking, are you interested in this value that I have to offer? Mm-hmm. Is this for you? And maybe it is. And there are so many ways of doing that. And I, I guess to go back to what you were asking before, like how do you how what are those creative ways that you can you know uh yeah you can insinuate or entangle yourself into the community and become a vital part of it that people want to come to you right they're drawn to you they're attracted to you and eventually you get to the point where you have this natural momentum that marketing is good but it's like you've already got this downhill uh, speed right and i think uh i I use rob gruber as an example a lot because i think he's got a really good base model that a lot of stores can sort of borrow from but uh like his, his store is in uh it's in a small town in vancouver or not in vancouver in bc canada called prince rupert and i can't remember the exact population but it's like five digits relatively tiny and he's got a thriving business he is a core part of the community in the sense that like he he's uh he's known as the elf king he he's the guy that the mayor goes to and be like hey will you lead the parade as your your character like he has uh, he is so integrated. There we go. That's the word. He's so integrated mm-hmm. with everything that is happening. All of the schools, all the community centers, they all know him. Mm-hmm. He's part of, like, he volunteers. He's part of the, he's part of the community in more ways than just the business. But he is, in some ways, he's intrinsically tied in with the business, right? And we talked a little bit about the, uh, the owner circle of the store of Authoria at the beginning, mm-hmm. and how customers come to, I, I find a connection with the owners in some ways. And a lot of, a lot of times, especially with the smaller stores, when you are the front person, you're the owner and you're behind the till for the first couple of years and you're operating everything, people come to associate you with the store mm-hmm. for good for good or bad, right? Uh, hopefully for good. But they kind of build this connection with you in a way. And he's got that in such a powerful, uh, he's got such a powerful connection with his community that when the pandemic hit, I remember him telling me the story on the podcast interview that I did with him. But how the mayor came in and he, they were all, everyone was freaking out. Nobody knew what was going on at that point. And it was like, oh, everything's shutting down. You know, people were just scared. The mayor came in and he said, uh, I know, like, we don't know what's going on. Things are like troubles coming on the, the horizon, but don't worry, we'll take care of you. Like we, uh, you know, Good Time Games is going to, we're going to make sure that this makes it through because you're too important to what we do. You're too important to the town and to the people around you, which like how many other businesses like how many other like pizza shops, you know, had this reassurance from somebody who's like, Hey, don't worry. We will make sure that you survive this economic storm that we're going to, we're going through. How often does that happen? Right. Having that sort of connection, having that sort of community uh, integration is I think how you achieve like this almost universal appeal, like mm-hmm. the store, like Prince Rupert wouldn't be the same without Rob, which is kind of crazy to think because not every store achieves that level of, uh, I guess, community integration. Yeah. And on some level, what we're kind of talking about here is that, and that's that community integration is the integration with that invisible demographic who are not people who necessarily define themselves as gamers. These are not people who like wake up in the morning and like they pull on their like magic, the gathering branded t-shirt, you know? Um, but they, but they still, they see the game store as a, as a objective good. It's a place that you can go to get like good, clean fun for your kids. You can buy Carcassonne there, you know. You can uh, 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 maybe maybe buy a couple packs of Magic, and and that constant business from this this otherwise 
very, very difficult to, to trace demographic. That's, I mean, that's, it's, it's just, it's just a huge bounty in that. And, and the only way to, and the only way to interact with them is to on some level become insinuated in the fabric of, of their lives, you know? I mean, so you're, you're a hundred percent right in terms of like looking at local organizations. And I think that that's one of the ways that like Authoria definitely kind of is, um, like differentiating itself from some of our competitors, you know, like we, we, we do a lot of, we do a lot of events that are not just sort of like narrow targeted at people who already kind of self-identify as gamers. It's kind of like, it's kind of like maybe you've seen this on TV and now you're hearing about it through a different channel. Like, uh, uh, very recently we did a, um, a movie opening for the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Right. And then there was some cosplayers there and, uh, some tickets to see the Dungeons and Dragons film and then a table out with some product on it, get to interact with some of the people who work the store, work at the shop. Um, but that's a way that people who are kind of coming at the hobby from a different direction, right. Can then put a face to the name and, oh, in the movie theater, the, 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 the premiere happened in was, uh, a, a local locally owned theater, just a couple miles from one of our locations. So, I mean, it's that kind of like overlapping, that kind of like networking and weaving yourself into the tapestry of daily life for the people in on on some of them. I know it sounds it sounds terrible in, in your territory, you know. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Just weaving yourself into the tapestry of the life of the people that are around you. I think that's crucial to making sure that you have that success at the local level, and then. Another thing that I, I did want to talk about was the idea of like, okay, you mentioned before about this uh, perception that uh, why be online? You know, Amazon is going to eat your lunch. All the big box stores, they're all selling for less. You know, like <laughs> I feel like there is this, this idea and like part of it comes out of, uh, you know, this uh, marketing is not usually the background for, for store owners, right? It's usually something that's pretty foreign to start off with. So maybe they have this idea that like, well, the market online is like the market square in, in person. You know, there's all these different websites and if somebody's got the choice, they're always gonna find the cheapest version. They're always gonna go to the one, you know, they're always gonna go to Amazon because Amazon's got the cheapest price. So uh, that's where all of the sales are gonna go by default. And like, it's just, they're naturally gonna funnel that way. And the only thing that matters online is price. So it, that's, and like game stores cannot compete on price, not really. Like no, it's just not right. really their forte. That's not what they can do. You're on a, we're on a smaller scale. We're not Walmart. You can't do that. Right. So mm -hmm. the idea is basically like, it's impossible to really win online. Like you, why sell magic cards when star city games and TCG player and, and channel fireball and all these pl other places are doing it. You're never going to be able to compete with them. Why sell, you know, settlers or, you know, board games or any of these things when anyone can go to Amazon and get them for basically wholesale or less. Right. Mm -hmm. The thing I think, we've uh, at least like uh, the thing that I've noticed, but <laughs> it, that's just not true is that people really <laughs> do true. care about convenience and, you know, shopping locally as much as they can, but also there are, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reasons why people will not go to Amazon. There's a lot of reasons why people won't go to somewhere, you know, to what somewhere like Noble Knight games perhaps, and maybe go towards something that's a little more uh, local or a little closer. Uh, and a lot of it, I think we also really underestimate the attention span of people online in the sense that people really think, okay, we know, we know we have like the attention span of a goldfish at this point. Uh, so, but that kind of serves us in the sense that if you're the last one that they've seen, if they say, Hey, you want to buy this card? The person will probably be like, yeah, but that's my card and I'll buy that card. Right. Even mm -hmm. though they could take the extra like 10 seconds and go find it, maybe like a hand, you know, a couple pennies cheaper or a couple dollars cheaper or whatever, depending on the card itself on a different platform. There's a lot of value in getting it right here, right now. And that's what I want. And just mm -hmm. click the button and be, with it. you know, mm -hmm. like if you are there, especially if you're advertising, if you're putting it out there, you put the messaging out there and you're marketing and they see you and they see your message, they will buy with you. They won't like, Oh yeah, I wanted that. Let me go find that on the absolute cheapest price possible. There's people just don't do that. Or at least it's not as common as people think. 
I, I actually agree. I agree 100% is that, is that there is a certain segment that will always be chasing the money. And they will be sitting there with their 10 key next to their computer. And they'll be like going, oh, well, it's this retail price on this page. But, but the shipping's higher. And then on this page, the shipping's lower, but the price is higher. Let me just real quick do a comparison. That, that, that person exists. They definitely do. But... Saying that they are the market is exactly the same fallacy as saying tournament players are the market or in-store gamers are the market or, you know, they, they are a segment. And if they are a segment that you want to attract, then there are certain ways that you can speak to them. Um, and there are certain behaviors that they will always manifest and being fickle and disloyal is one of them. And that's, and that's fine. I mean, they have money to spend. They have money to spend and we're competing for it and that's and that's fine um but they are by no means the only fish in the sea another fallacy i've seen is the kickstarter fallacy i encounter this all the time with uh game store owners that i've talked to and they say i would never buy a game that started out on kickstarter i say why you know people need startup capital to start their money to start their game he goes and they he goes they go um Oh, well, everyone who wanted it got it. They all pledged it and they got it. What, there's no room for me. It's like, that's just not how things work. <laughs> so it takes time to build up some steam behind things. Uh, MTG wasn't at the, its market position that it's at now in 1994. Uh, you know, I mean, you just, you sometimes you gotta, you sometimes you gotta, uh, Put a little bit of a little bit of work into it. You gotta like let the locomotive start carrying itself forward. Uh, I, I know that word of mouth is, I mean, it's untraceable and it's hard to monetize, but it is still a thing that works. It still absolutely is one hundred percent a thing that works, and you cannot discount it. Um, uh, a game that was on Kickstarter yesterday is a game that could potentially, I mean, look at, like, I think Mork Borg. I mean, did you, did you follow Mork Borg at all? It's a role-playing game. And that was a, that was a Kickstarter game. And it has spawned so much capital movement in the role-playing industry in the two or three years that it's been out. It's nuts. There's no way that everybody who wanted a Mork Borg copy of the game got it on um, just in its original fulfillment. And uh, it, I don't think it's even peaked in terms of its market penetration. So don't sleep on Kickstarter, something. One hundred percent. That's absolutely true. And like, it's 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 funny because like I think if you like just pull back a little bit, like, we're mm -hmm. so emotionally tied in with a lot of what we do, which is always really you know makes things cloudy. It makes it hard to think. But if you pull back a little bit, just kind of around the numbers, think about it. What are the odds? Like, how many millions of people? could potentially, you know, be interacting with your business or your store or, or, or a particular publisher. Right. And how many of them, how many copies of this thing did they sell? Right. Like even the most successful Kickstarter in the world, like, okay, you get the, you sold, you know, a million bucks worth of stuff. And, you know, you had like yeah. 15, 20,000 people back your pro back your Kickstarter. Okay. That's cool. But like, do you know how many people are probably, as interested in this game or could be if they'd known about it? Right. Cause not everybody knows what Kickstarter is. Not everybody, like there's a whole yeah. layers of the population who don't even know what it is, don't know where to find it. Maybe they know, but they didn't see it. You know, they didn't look at it on the right time. So it wasn't on the front page. So they never discovered it, but they would love it if they did. Like there's so many people like, again, it's the tip of the iceberg, right? Like the idea the that like everybody got it and you know, it's good. It's done. I'm never going to be able to sell any copies to these people because all my players already have theirs. That is, <laughs> It's, it's impossible, right? Like yeah. there's, there's no way, right? Even the best yeah. promotion, the, the best sale, the, like the most like universally appealing thing, marketing message that you could put out there, even then there will still be people who are like, well, just not now, right? I'm just not ready for it. I can't buy it. I would love to, but I can't, it's just not mm -hmm. the right time. Mm -hmm. right? And, but like, that might be tomorrow. That might be the next week or the month later or something like that. And right. that's almost yeah. never a hundred percent ever, uh, especially in our industry. You could have a person who is hot and bothered with just money burning a hole in their pocket for fantasy stuff. 
this week. Oh, I want dragons. I want swords. I want I want undead. And then a month from now, you see that person, and they are on a serious science fiction jag. They're just they're putting down twenties to buy plastic tanks. You know, I mean, like like the the market in the hobby store world is cyclical, and having a and just everything comes in its time. Everything comes in its time, and that may vary in terms of uh, 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 like uh, fads and kind of like zeitgeist, like what people are into today. It might just be a completely uh, individual thing where some so, some some person gets an individual peak, you know? Yeah, but to tie it back into marketing. The only way that you can take advantage of the fact that it's cyclical and that timing is, uh, you know, is a factor is that you have to always be asking. You always have to be out there. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, mm-hmm. you're ready now? You know, mm-hmm. still like still interested, right? Like you said before, they're like, yeah, maybe you know, like, uh, maybe not, maybe next week or whatever. Like, did you ask again? Did you follow up with the person? Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. You do that by making mm-hmm. sure that your message is out there. You making sure that you know they are on your email list or you know you're sending out yeah. Facebook ads or whatever, whatever yeah. methods you're you're doing, right? Yeah, think constantly be like. Uh, but thank God you said email because, like, uh, seriously, this is just what I want to say to email to to your game store guys out there, owners, interested people. Email was a super hot technology in like 1995. Wow, it seemed so so crazy back then. And guess what? It's still 100% relevant. It's still a bread and butter. It's just an absolute winner like you might think email is super crusty it is not i'm an email marketer by by trade so i might be uh uh uh, glossing here a little bit too hard but but let me tell you um people want to get in your face talk to you about social media and tiktok and stuff like this guess social media is does not move the needle i that's my that's my take that's my personal take you can pin that on me if people want to uh, write in and be angry. That's that's cool. That is a hill I'm willing to die on because I have I have completely I put I put money into that. And uh, social media doesn't move the dial. You know what moves the dial? Emails because everybody's got one. Everybody's probably got five, and they go through it every day. So they see your message. You don't know if they're on TikTok. You don't know if your customer is on Instagram. You but your customer has an email. Your customer has an email. They will click. They will get bored in the middle of their day while they're while they're at work, and they'll oh oh look, it's a picture of a Magic the Gathering card. That makes me happy. Doing spreadsheets does not make me happy. I will click on this right now. Don't sleep on it anyway. <laughs> yes, Sorry, that's just my pitch. That's my pitch. No, I'm really glad that you said that because I've been like ringing that bell for a long time now because email is one of those things that like, it's. It's so powerful and so it's so powerful. easy to, to like to put together. Like it's one of those things that like if you put in a little bit of work at the beginning, you just yes. set up the right systems and set up the yes. right flows and everything, and you got it all lined up, then it's such a great way to really like really capture that, you know, the, the attention that you want, right? Yeah. And like it's one of those things that uh when it comes to online stuff, there's not much that you can control, right? You know, like you can optimize your website for Google and then Google changes their algorithm. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I was on the first page, you know, ranked number one or two or three for all these keywords. And they decided that they're going to change their factors. And now I'm on page three again, right? Mm-hmm. That can happen, right? Uh, Facebook can decide that they're not going to show you your stuff anymore, right? They can just go, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Said, social media. Like, yeah. You have no control over their algorithm, how they set up the Facebook feed. And Facebook has a huge history of basically exploiting businesses for money and then, you know, basically doing it again over and over again. And it's just one of those things that, like, you have to pay to play if you want to have social media really be any sort of functioning thing for building your business. You have to pay mm-hmm. for it. You can't, mm-hmm. Organic is really hard, at least when it comes to business. Mm-hmm. And so, but email is one of those things that you can control. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's one of those things that once someone's on your email list, as long as you're sending them good stuff and you're, you're keeping that relationship cool and everyone's happy, that is the one source of traffic that is always going to be in your control. Mm-hmm. Everything else can change, but you know, as long as you don't completely ruin your reputation and spam the crap out of your, your email list, <laughs> you're fine. You'll be okay. And that's really hard to do, by the way. 
Like that's another what, thing. To, I, to spam them out? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, it's hard to overwhelm people with email it is. messages. In some ways, the like gigantic abundance of emails in your inbox can be played to an advantage because they're not all <laughs> going to see your thing. They're not, they're not yeah. all going to see your message. So if you send one a day to your entire email list, they might only see it once or twice, and it's not going to feel like you're just like constantly bombarding them. Not that I recommend that, but I, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend once a day. Sure, sure, and and I've experienced that as well. I've experienced because people of a certain age are, are email shy. They're like, oh, they, they they remember, you know, the whole word spam. We just it's just become part of the lexicon now. But like, it used to have these incredibly negative connotations. Um, but like, like you can work that email ground pretty hard and not piss anybody off. Like I get a daily email from Paizo Publishing. They hit me in my email box every single day and I haven't unsubscribed. I don't unsubscribe. Do I look at them all? No, but I'm always waiting for the one that, that I'm gonna, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to unsubscribe. I'm, I, I'm, something might come up. Something good might come up. Um, Hot tip. Wait for the headline that, that pulls you in. You're like, yep, that's, the, yeah. that's the one I want. Exactly, exactly. And 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 to all my friends in the game store world who are thinking to themselves, oh, marketing, that sounds like some esoteric thing. Like marketers are we, we have this kind of we have this kind of uh, people look at us, we're kinda of like the new lawyers. People look at us and they're kinda of like, Oh, marketer guys, they seem kind of shifty. Like they're 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 liars or something, they're they're uh, uh, distorters, they have collared shirts and they want to sell me something here's the thing you can do marketing okay i'm not trying to put myself out of the job you can do marketing you can start your marketing mailchimp is basically free they might still have a free version canva has a free version guess what you're now a marketer like begin just start just do something it it, it will it will pay for itself in in no time in no time yeah, especially email. That's one thing that uh, all the clients that I've worked with, I start off with email because it's the fastest way to get a get an ROI. It's one of those things. Almost mm -hmm. nobody has it set up, right? It's, it's so rare to find a game store with an email list that they're actually leveraging. And it's like, okay, let's just so get easy. that going, and then like we'll we'll see where that happens, and and we'll just start immediately driving revenue through your email list, and then it all becomes a wash, right? And as long as we're making some mm -hmm. money, and you're making some money, and everyone's profiting, and it's, and it's you know way more than you're paying me. We'll just keep going right it just works out really mm -hmm. great right that way and it's one of those things that like it's so easy but it, at the same time i i'm sure it's because we've been the, in this for a while you know it's one mm -hmm. of those things that like when you're immersed in it you stop seeing it as a challenge or when you really like it maybe you just don't see it as a challenge as well but then for somebody who's maybe not had our experience they look at it and it's just you know uh minecraft enchantment table language it's, it's just it's you, know, you can't tell what it is <sighs> yeah about, right and like, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, we want to help, right? I want to, with mm -hmm. all the messages that we've, I, we've talked about today, I think that's probably a really, really big one. Just take a look at the email, set something up and then mm -hmm. start trying it. Just start learning it. Cause you don't have to get it. You don't have to master it right away, but like start putting some effort into it and you will see a, uh, an impact almost immediately. Even mm -hmm. if you're doing it badly for the first little bit, like please. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with doing it badly from the jump. Who, who amongst us has not watched a YouTube channel that started off being kind of shaky cameras and unpolished, unscripted, and then they become super great? Who among us can has not seen that? You can do that. Uh, you, you audience listener, you can do that. You can start off with an email that's just one paragraph, and it just says, March of the Machine, Aftermath, Release Party Friday, and it has a banner with the name of your game store on it. And you can go much, much further because the process of marketing is actually about reiterating. It's about, it's about, it's about, okay, we established this, how do we make it a little bit better? And then next week, how do we make it a little bit better? And then 52 weeks from now, you're 52 times better. Maybe not linearly, but, but better. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I, again, I think it was James Clear and Atomic Habits. But he talks about how if you become, if you're 1% better every day, just 1%, just a tiny little bit, that is a 17 times improvement at the end of the year. So even if you started today, you just, just a little bit, like just look at the data, you know, look at your, your headline, look at your, the way you're messaging, you, yeah, just, just 
change your graphics a little bit, like just a little bit better every single day, mm-hmm. a tiny fraction of a bit, you'll be so much better than you could really realistically imagine what 17 times better feels like at the end of the year. And then, mm-hmm. you know, where, what happens next year, right? Like how, how much further could you take that? It's one of those things that you just have to start trying. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we all start off kind of at the bottom, you know, level one noob at the beginning. It's just the way, <laughs> the way it works in these game yes. technology. And then at the end, you're this, you know, level 99 god slayer and you can crush things, right? Like, like mm-hmm. but it takes time. You got to grind in, you got to grind into it. But uh, yeah, so I think it's a really, really good message. And we're at an hour and five minutes. And I feel like we probably just keep on rolling. But I kind of want to save some of this stuff for uh, for maybe another conversation in the future. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've had a great time being on. Thanks so much for thanks so much for taking the time and, and having me on. And I know uh, before there was some issues with communication and stuff. I really appreciate you overlooking that um, and giving uh, me and Authoria Games an opportunity to come on and to talk. This has been this has been a real pleasure. Thank you again. I appreciate it. It was a really good conversation. I had a lot of fun, and I always love talking marketing. And talk, you know, passionately with somebody who actually uh, yes. cares about what they're doing. It's the best like aspects of the podcast in general, right? Like you said at the beginning. Uh, but before we go, where mm. can people go to connect with you, find out more about Authoria? You know, do like hit them up with the plugs. All right. Well, you know, if you just type in Authority Games into your uh, Google browser, I'm absolutely certain that will come up. Uh, uh, definitely, if you type in Authority Games Mesa or if you type in Authority Games Tempe, uh, that'll bring you to our web pages. Uh, if you're in the Phoenix metro area and you want to come by and say hi, I would highly encourage you. Uh, please, please uh, hit me up. Um, and uh, I'd love to come out and just talk. <laughs> but if, if if you're a game store owner and you come into town, and you want to see what we're doing, I'd love to I'd love to meet you at the store and uh, and show you around. And we can talk all day, um, or go to lunch, or whatever. Uh, I myself, my name is Brendan Carrion, and uh, you can actually find my um, my personal webpage, CarrionCollingCard.com, um, and uh, uh, you can see all of my my role playing credits, my uh, podcasting credits and then you can also see some of my marketing stuff if you ever need some freelance marketing stuff done i can i'm happy to help but uh yeah yeah that's that's us thank thanks again for having me on no problem i appreciate it any parting words of wisdom that we want to leave the listeners with anything uh that comes to mind i mean this is gonna this is gonna sound terrible but like um if you if if a customer walks into your game store and your and your bathroom is horrible from a horror movie, they will remember. They will remember that. That will be the thing that they remember about you. And I mean, come on, <laughs> you know that's that's as, as as a customer of many magic uh, uh, role playing stores. That's all I want to say, just want to get that out there. <laughs> Uh, excellent. That's a great place to, to wrap up the podcast. But thank you very much, Brendan, for coming on. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll talk again. And, yeah, this was a lot of fun. So, again, thanks. Anytime. I look forward to it. All right. That is it for today's episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to today's show. I'm Tom Traplin, I've been your host, and I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast.